Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Good morning, and as Stephen and Michael said, welcome to the Grove. My name is Ali Shulman. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you have been following along with us this season, you know that we are in the middle of a sermon series called Exodus. We're looking at the story of Moses and the Israelites because we believe that their story is our story, especially right now during this season, during this time. And I'm excited to share with you a little bit more of their story. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about the season that we're in. This new place we're in. Something changed a few weeks ago. Do you sense it? Do you feel it? I think back to a month or two months ago when shelter in place entered into our vocabulary, when quarantine became a new vocabulary word that we needed to learn and practice and learn how to do. We breathed in and we looked at the world ahead of us and we thought, okay, we're going to do this. And we did. It was hard and disorienting, but we figured out what to do. We made hard choices and we canceled big plans like graduations and weddings. We figured out how to homeschool our kids for the first time. We learned how to take work calls via Zoom. Some of us have gotten really advanced over the last two months and figured out how to put backgrounds up on our Zoom calls. We figured out how to go to the grocery store once a week, how to narrow down our contacts. We figured out how to celebrate in new ways, in different ways, and did drive-through birthday parades and stuff like that. We figured it out together. And it was hard, but we did it. In part, we did it because we thought, maybe we hoped, that in six to eight weeks, if we did all of this, if we climbed this hill, this mountain of shelter in place, then maybe when we got to the top, we would see a clear valley. We would be able to look down and know that the problem had been fixed, that our lives could get more or less back to normal, that our victory had been won. But instead, April 30th came and went. Shelter in place ended and sure, we ended up having some new opportunities open up in our lives, but more or less, things feel the same. We're still wearing masks everywhere in public. We're still homeschooling our kids and contemplating what a summer at home will look like for them. Most of us are still working from home in some capacity. We still get packages in the mail and wonder, should we disinfect this or not? We're still in this place. And in fact, this place, this new place, it feels harder. Because now 
the world is opening up again. And suddenly we're in charge of making daily decisions, daily assessments and evaluations of what is better or what is safe or should we do this or should we do that? It is all so overwhelming. The anxiety is not going down. If anything, it is rising. This place feels harder. It's like we got to the top of that hill, that shelter in place hill, and instead of seeing a valley, we got there and all we saw were more hills. We look out and all we see are all these hills that we have to climb one after another and worse, there's no end in sight. And all of this, all of this makes us really tired. We're exhausted. I read an article the other day and it talked about this growing feeling and it called it quarantine, the fatigue of the quarantine. I thought, yes, that is the perfect description. The decision-making, the anxiety, the uncertainty, the weeks and weeks of this, we are fatigued. Every time we go to the grocery store and put on that mask and wonder if they're gonna have the meat cut that we want or the cereal that we need in stock, we're a little bit more exhausted. Every time we're on a work call and our internet drops or our kids online Zoom thing won't figure itself out, we're a little bit more exhausted. Every time we test the waters and we ask a friend or a family member, hey, do you wanna hang out? And we brace ourselves for the answer. We get a little bit more exhausted. We're at the top of hill one and we came down and now we're looking up at yet another hill to climb. But we are so, so tired. But tiredness isn't the greatest risk that we face in this new season. Exhaustion isn't the greatest danger. The greatest danger that we face in this new place is what exhaustion can cause us to miss. You see, we're at risk of losing sight of the one thing that could help us get through all of this. We're in danger of missing out on the one thing we need to keep climbing those hills. I know this because I've read it before, because this exact same dynamic plays out in Exodus. It's the story of the Israelites and it's the story that we come to this week. You see, last week, we left in a fairly hopeful place. Moses had just received his call from God and God had said, I am going to make you free all the Israelites out of Egypt. They've been in slavery for generations, but I am here to rescue them and you're going to help me. And so Moses goes back to Egypt and he gathers all the Israelites, the elders together, and he says, look guys, 
I got some exciting news, some hopeful news. And you can imagine he shares all that God has told him. And you can imagine how those Israelites feel. Oh, they're so hopeful. This has been so hard. This has crushed their spirits for so long, but here is the sign of hope. And you can imagine that they too, like us, thought this would be a short-term fix. They thought it was just this one hill they had to climb. They just have to convince Pharaoh. And after that, man, they'll be in the valley. They'll be able to go to that promised land. And they're excited and they're ready. They're ready to grind up that hill. But what happens is that Moses, you can imagine, shows up at the palace, the place that used to be his home. And he says those bold words. We've heard them before. Let my people go. They're famous words. But in scripture, actually, those words are a little sheepish. He kind of blunders the whole thing. Pharaoh looks at him and raises his eyebrows and said, who are you, Moses, to come here? I don't know your God. And Moses, instead of being defiant and strong and the leader we expect, fumbles a little bit more and, and makes up things and tries to convince Pharaoh. And Pharaoh shakes his head and says, no way, no way. And even worse, Pharaoh, who is power sick and power hungry, decides that this is the moment where he will tighten the control. He's gonna actually make the Israelites' life harder. You see, the Israelites, part of their labor is that they made mud bricks for all the buildings in Egypt. They gathered all the mud together and they used straw and they made the bricks. The state provided the straw generally. But in this moment, when Moses was in court asking Pharaoh to let his people go, Pharaoh decides, no, the Israelites, they're gonna go gather all the straw. They're gonna go bring it in and they're gonna do that and make the same number of bricks that they've always had to make. And you can imagine, poor Moses, he leaves that court not only not having solved the problem, not having won the victory, but he made it worse. And so suddenly these Israelites are in a harder position than they thought. They climbed one hill and they asked Pharaoh, but then they got back down to the bottom and they look ahead of them and there's a huge hill that they have to keep climbing. And they don't know how many hills they're going to be after this. Gosh, their spirits are broken. They're exhausted from the work. And Moses tries to come back and tell them and remind them of all these promises that God has made to him. Remember, remember God said he'll take us to the promised land. But scripture says that even though Moses told them these things, they were so exhausted, they could not listen. The exact phrase is Moses told this to the Israelites, but they didn't listen to Moses because of their shortness of breath and their hard labor. We're gonna focus a moment on that word breath. 
we're going to talk a little bit about that innocent word. Because I think a lot of us find ourselves in that place, the same place that the Israelites are in. They are tired. They've endured a season, and somehow, just when they thought the season would end, it got harder. You see, that word breath, it means what you think it means, physical breath, or as ancient cultures understood it, it meant wind, like the source of wind in your lungs. And it does mean that. It, it's referred to that in scripture several times, this breath. In Hebrew, the word is ruah. It means the inhale and the exhales that we take, that we know keep us alive. It's that same breath that when you watch a newborn and they're firstborn and you raise that subtle movement in the chest to know that they're alive, it's a sign of life. It's that same physical breath that when you run upstairs too fast, you think about, it does mean that, that oxygen and release of carbon dioxide. But ruah, it means something else too. You see, in scripture, about as many times as it's used to mean breath, physical breath, it's also used to mean spirit as in the spirit of God. It's that same word, that same ruah, that hovers over creation before anything is made. It is that source of spirit that is breathed into the human's nostrils when they are formed. In fact, it is that same spirit that brings them to life. That same spirit, that same ruah, it's all over scripture. It's the same spirit that is in Joseph that helps him to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. It's that same spirit that comes to Saul and makes him a good king and then leaves him and he becomes a bad king. It's that same spirit that is present in the prophets when they deliver their words, that very life force inside of them. It's more than physical breath. This is something that the Hebrews understood. And they gave it a name, that ruah, that life force that keeps us going, that keeps us alive, that makes us human, is more than just the wind inside of our lungs. What keeps us going, what makes us alive, is something spiritual. It is something more powerful than maybe even we can imagine. And while in Hebrew that word is one word, in English I think we've separated it out into two words. Maybe a word that's more familiar to us these days. A word that describes that life-sustaining force that keeps us going no matter our circumstances. Now, we call that hope. And I don't mean the kind of hope that you write on greeting cards or is available in hospital gift shops on balloons. 
I don't mean that easy fix hope that's like get better soon or God has a plan or everything happens for a reason. I don't mean that kind of hope. That hope masquerades itself as optimism or positivity, but that hope, that isn't sustaining. That's not ruach. That's not this life-sustaining force. No, hope for us means something different. The hope I'm talking about, that power, that deep in your bones hope, it's something else. You see, Christian hope comes in three parts. The first is a deep confidence that God has a plan for the world. The second is the certainty that that plan is good. And the third is that God continually works to pull us in the direction of that plan. I'm gonna repeat that. Christian hope is a deep confidence that God has a plan for this world, that that plan is bent toward goodness and wholeness and restoration, towards a time when things will be restored, when things will be healed, when pain will be no more, and that God is continually working in our lives and in this world and through us to pull us all in the direction of that plan. I like to think of hope as this anchor that God is set in the future and we are constantly and slowly being pulled, reeled in towards a better future. That is hope. That is deep, true Christian hope. And you know that hope. You've seen it. Even if you haven't called it by name, you've seen it in your friend who was diagnosed with a terminal illness, but still got up every single day to do their work, to serve others, to live life. You've seen that hope in your aunt who shows up at her loved one's bedside every day in that nursing home, even though there's no potential cure in this life. You've seen it in the moms and dads in the NICU who wait for their precious little babies to become well again. You've seen it in your own life when you've lost a job and you still show up to log in to the job websites every day. That deep hope, that life-sustaining force it is what makes you believe. It is what propels you forward. And I believe it is what keeps you alive. But right now, I'm afraid that just like the Israelites, we are at risk. We are at risk of losing our hope. We are at risk of becoming short on the life force that we need to sustain us through whatever end comes. Have you ever seen someone who's lost hope before? 
You ever witnessed someone's life? When they receive a circumstance that is painful and hard and tragic, and maybe at first they're okay, and then over time, you just start to see this gradual decline, they become miserable people. And there's some characteristics that you start to notice. They start to turn inward on themselves. They start to get absorbed in their own problems and, and themselves and their pain. They start to become less grateful. They lose their connections with other people. They stop caring about compassion and everyone else. And they start focusing in on themselves alone. They become a little bit more bickery and judgy and angry and angsty. There's this spirit of cynicism in them that isn't pleasant to be around. When we lose our life force, when we lose hope, we become something less than the fully alive human that we were meant to be. We lose sight of the very life that we were meant to have. Luckily, I think there's a solution for this. And it's right there in the scripture that I read. You see, what's so ironic about this scripture in Exodus 6 is that right before it says that the Israelites have lost their breath, where they are exhausted, where they can't listen, there's this whole paragraph where God tells them again and again, here are the promises that I have made to you. Here is the sustenance of hope that you need to hold on to. Here is the future that I am showing you so that you can keep going. He tells them I will bring them from Egypt out of slavery. I will rescue them from this conversation that they're having amongst their heads and in fighting and all the bickering. I will save them and I will take them on as my people and they will be my people and I will be their God. God paints this picture of the future for them, but they can't hear it. But we can. We can learn from the Israelites and look up and start to notice the promises of God. And let me tell you, if you look in scripture and if you look carefully, you'll notice they're everywhere. Promise, describing this future that we will have one day, that anchor that is planted in the future, it is everywhere in scripture. In the Psalm, it says, call on me in the day in trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. In Jeremiah, it says, don't be afraid. I will save you from faraway places where you have been enslaved. Jesus later says, my father's house has many rooms. I will come back and take you there. For where I am, you should be also. Maybe the most famous promise of all at the very end of the Bible. And I'll read it in full. It's from Revelation, and it's the promise of the future that we have to hope for. It says, God's dwelling place is now among the people, 
and he will dwell with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The promises of hope, the promises of the future, the promises of where we are headed are all over scripture. And those little pieces are what we have to hang on to as we move forward in the world, as we move through circumstances that we didn't choose, as we move through situations that feel harder than when we first came in. And look, I know on hard days, it's hard to hold those big grand promises in your head. It's hard to think about death being no more and tears being wiped from every eye and coming to the promised land when you're in the midst of the struggle. So I wanna share with you another promise, another promise that we started to talk about last week, a promise that is a little bit more personal. You see, last week, we talked about how God gave Moses his name and how important that was and how intimate that was and how much it meant. And we talked a little bit how in English that name is Yahweh, but in reality, in the original Hebrew script, there are no vowels. You put together the words just by the consonants that are used. And so in the original Hebrew, all we have for God's name is Y-H-W-H. Most scholars believe that those consonants were chosen, that that name is given because it's supposed to represent our breath. It's supposed to represent the literal inhale and exhale that you take every single day. So when you can't see the bigger promises, when you can't hold on to the hope of the entire Bible, of the entire world, you can hold on to the hope that God, the Spirit of God, the very breath that lives in you is a sign of the promise. You don't have to think too much or plaster scripture over all of your walls. You just have to breathe to know that God is there, that his name is in and on your body and your lungs and your bloodstream, that he is working through you because he gave us his name as a sign, as a promise, as something that we can hold on to when circumstances get hard. When we start to turn inward, when we start to judge and bicker, when we start to become cynical people, we just have to close our eyes and breathe and know that Yahweh lives in us.
my prayer for you this week is that you take the hard moments and instead of caving in to the spirit of exhaustion and tiredness, which we are all prone to, that you may take a moment and breathe and that you may know deep in your bones that that breath, that inhale and that exhale, that is God in you. Let us pray. Source of all life, source of all breath, source of all the good that you are pulling us towards. Let us stand on the hope that you have given us. Let us stand on the promises that you have provided us. Let us have confidence, a deep confidence in our bone to keep walking up the hills, to keep moving where we need to move, to keep our sights high and our spirits high so that we may lift up not only ourselves, but those around us. It is in your name, your holy and precious and intimate and personal name that we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.